Well, welcome today to, to the teaching of Holy Days. Uh, here again with Pastor Sean Shepherd, uh, myself, Apostle Freddie Riggs, and uh, we uh, believe today is going to be very interesting. Uh, you've been following us. Uh, we're doing a weekly series of uh, exactly how the scriptures are being read and taught in Israel through, with the Jewish people today. So this is this week's teaching. Pastor Sean. Hello, everyone, and this week we're covering Bashalak, and it uh, means when he let go or when he set forth. Mm-hmm. So that's talking about Pharaoh when he finally lets the children of Israel go. All right. We've been through all the plagues, mm-hmm. and now we're at uh, the day of exit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, but uh, before we get into all that, last week uh, we mentioned in the scriptures uh, that about the doorpost in Israel mm-hmm. and what they were called, and we couldn't remember the name, yeah. but they're called mezuzahs. And I have a uh, picture here for you. And it is a piece of parchment inscribed with the specific Hebrew verses of the Torah, which Jews affixed to the doorpost of their homes. And you can see it there inside of that little uh, mezuzah, the scripture they have placed in there. I had a question. Okay. And... Uh... We left last week, and, you know, we talked about, you know, after the first plague, uh, the, the magicians went to Goshen and, tried to, and turned the blood, or the water to blood. But later, they couldn't do any of the things, and so the plagues only affected Egypt only. But the last plague, the death angel. Now, the Lord would, had no intention, I don't feel, of killing uh, the firstborn of the Jewish people. But Pharaoh spoke it from his, self, his own mouth. But we know that the, the curse uh, or the plague was the death angel would take the firstborn of all Egyptian children. So with that, why did the children of Israel have to put the blood on their doorposts? How come they were not exempt on this last plague as they were the previous plagues? Well, you know, according to the Jewish people, okay. God does no evil. So God wouldn't personally kill them, but he would allow it. So what you're looking at is another being going around deciding who gets killed, who's not, he's going to kill anyone who's not protected. So there's the spirit of God and the spirit of God says, if you'll put this blood, the symbol of my covenant, essentially mm-hmm. on your doorpost, or you'll put to death those, uh, those God, other gods, which we'll get to that in here in just a bit. Uh, so a ram or a lamb. And the Spirit of God will be there, so the destroyer, when it comes, or the angel of death, can't come in. So everybody in the land of Goshen obeyed that, and even though the devil would have loved to take them out, but he couldn't. And, you know, one of the things that I've always just just kind of taken on my own, uh, the children of Israel was delivered by the blood. Mm -hmm. We today, uh, children of God, are delivered out of sin by the blood mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. So sacrifice of blood to save the children of Israel and a sacrifice of blood to save us today. Mm-hmm. So that's just been my take. I don't know if that is the reasoning of it all, but that's where I'm at. just uh, looking at right now. But uh, as we go through this, hopefully I'll have receive more light and we can give you more light on the subject also. I, I, I will go into that. Okay. I will go into that. So, uh, you know, God says to him, with a strong hand, I've, God brought you out of Egypt. 
Mm-hmm. That's the quote. And then uh, verses 11 through 12, firstborn males are rededicated to God. In verses 14 through 16, to tell the children how God brought them out of the land of Egypt. So we're going to jump to Numbers 3, verse 11. And, uh, and the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have chosen the Israelites from um, Levites among the Israelites to serve as substitutes for all the firstborn sons of the people of Israel. The Levites belong to me, for all the firstborn males are mine. On the day I struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians, I set apart for myself all the firstborn of Israel, both of people and of animals. They are mine. I am the Lord. So this will get, we'll get to this in another lesson. But, you know, he eventually chose the Levites instead of the sons of Israel, every firstborn male. Mm-hmm. Now, he chose the Levites to serve him. But the intention from the beginning was that every firstborn male of every household belonged to God, so belonged to the ministry. Every one of them. That's the way he intended it. But the Levites will find out later on in a future lesson why he chose them and set them apart. But in verses 17 through 18, uh, when Pharaoh Bashalak, when he let go, God led the children of Israel away from the Philistines near Gaza, and he took them a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. So they went south and around and they took the bones of Joseph out of Egypt when they left. That's in Genesis 50, 24, and 25 when he asked them to do that. Mm-hmm. Fulfilling scripture. And verses uh, 13, I mean chapter 13, 21 through 22, this is where we get the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So they followed that, and it was always, uh, he was always at the same spot in the camp. So they always followed him mm-hmm. everywhere he went, and he never removed it. Now, the desert temperatures would get up to 115 degrees or higher. Yes. And then at night, they would get to 30 to 24 degrees. So, massive jump in the desert, and it's still true today. Um, but so the people of Israel didn't just follow him for, because, you know, oh, we're seeing a miracle, but there was comfort. True. So, a sense of comfort. So, God's protecting, taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so. So the whole time and everything we're going to go through, you have to consider that this whole time, everything we're covering today, there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Mm -hmm. So they have evidence that God's taking care of them. You know, one of the questions that I get asked a lot as a pastor have been over the years, um, we know it took 40 years. Mm -hmm. But what we don't know is how long at each uh, encampment did they stay? Uh, did they set up camp? Did they stay a month? Did they stay 10 months uh, and broke camp and moved again? Uh, I don't know, scripture-wise, if there's any teaching that reveals that. Do you just have any ideal or thoughts or what have been your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I can tell you that on the Sabbath, no. There's no movement on the Sabbath. Right, I they understand s- that. And then... Through the rest of it, we'll have to get into that in our next lesson. So that might okay. be one for the answer for that. Well, you know, and it's just a uh, uh, something people always wondered. Uh, mm-hmm. When do they know to move? Well, they know to move when the cloud moves. Mm-hmm. When the cloud moves. So uh, they would, uh, I don't know what type of warning they had to break down camp and load up and move the camp. But, but you're moving, you know, they say anywhere 
two and a half million people, mm -hmm. it's going to take a little while to break down a camp and load everything up. But with that many people, maybe they had a science to it. Well, from uh, the, the studies that I've done, what I've seen is that the cloud would start to move away, and then the pillar of fire at night would be a little bit further from the camp. Mm -hmm. So the next day they knew they had to break down, get closer to the fire. Mm -hmm. And he would keep doing that little by little. Okay. So it was kind of, you know, nothing was ever that rushed, mm -hmm. but they had to stay near it to stay comfort. Yes, so. okay. But uh, always, uh, always in front of them, God never removed it the entire time. They followed it not just to obey because of the comfort. Uh, we like to question God's methods in our lives, you know. I would like to propose this question, have we always obeyed? That's question number one. And is he sovereign over our choices? That's question number two. Now, I would say to both, no. Now, God is sovereign over anything that happens in the Bible. It must happen. It will happen. Mm -hmm. But God has given each and every one of us free will. True. So with that free will, you know, so many times, I'm going to change this the way I originally intended, but so many times the choices in our lives, the mega, the big things, even down to the small things, we react instead of praying beforehand. Mm -hmm. Well, this all happened, so it must be God. Right rather than praying and asking God for, is this your right path? What do you want me to do? Or how about, God, show me what you want me to do tomorrow or this next week. There's no predictive anything hardly anymore in, in a lot of Christians' lives. And we've, I feel like we have to get back to that because you know God's wanting to let us know ahead of time, this is my will for you. It's not something that's supposed to be unknown. But at the same time, neither is it meant to be fate. Right. Because fate is a Muslim belief, mm -hmm. and I will bring that up here on the screen. I want you guys to see that. Fate is whatever happens in the world and whatever people do, whether good or bad, everything happens per the eternal knowledge of the Almighty Allah. This is what they say. Whatever is going to happen is the knowledge of Allah and is already with Him in written form. And that's in their book. I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's on page 24. But... But, you know, and God tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. Mm -hmm. And he says, thoughts of peace and not of evil is what it says. I think sometimes we forget to quote the whole scripture. And, you know, so, uh, you know, God has plans. He says plans for a future and a hope. Mm -hmm. So uh, he, he wants us to have peace. Uh, he says that there, none of his thoughts are evil, so no evil comes from God that we experience or receive. Mm -hmm. It's that choice we make to get out of God's will. But I, we love the part that I know the, the plans I have for you, you know, future and hope, but we have to remember a peace and not evil. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not fate, like you said. It's, uh, God has a plan. We need to enter in and find out what the plan is for my life from God. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, fate would suggest, oh, this happened in my life, or I've been, I pray about this, you know, every four or five days, you know, and I don't really pray in between, but I've asked God for this, so this must be God, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's attributing to God things that he didn't actually send. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you know, later on, everything falls apart or doesn't work out, or, or maybe it does, but you're miserable and it wasn't exactly what God intended. Then they blame God. Right. And that's what I want to say that uh, as Christians, we have to get away from that. And that is so true. Uh, you know, it's easy to blame God. Mm -hmm. 
especially when tragedy happens, why did God let this happen? Yeah. And uh, we have to know that free will, free choices, uh, things that we make, we, we move out of God's will sometimes. And uh, that is being obedient, uh, being right in the perfect center of God's will mm-hmm. is where we strive or should strive to be. And just like the children of Israel, they had to be listening. You know, of course, they were following Moses. Uh, and, you know, we talked a little bit about, hey, you no, know, Moses, you go talk to God and come back and tell us. Uh, but today we need to enter into his presence mm-hmm. so that we can uh, get instructions and find out what God wants. Mm-hmm, exactly. Amen. Amen. So I will go as far as to say the Holy Spirit should be more real to us than anyone else. Oh, Yes. And I will say that uh, some people, you know, they say, well, they're just a bit flaky or they're a little bit weird or you don't have to be weird. You know, the spirit of the prophet is a subject to the prophet. And basically, you don't have to lose control. You can be in control the entire time, but know, get to know God and draw close to God. And don't be afraid of these kind of things. So much in today's world, especially among young people that I see, everyone's afraid well, what if God comes upon me and the blah, 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 and all this and in front of people? But if they go to a concert, they act like a crazy person. <laughs> so I'm like, why do you fear that? Because this, because it's in church? Yeah. What, what do the four walls have to do with it? You know, that is the goal, is to have the Spirit of God come upon you. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But uh, in chapter 14, I got off track, my verses 1 through 4, God orders Moses to turn back and camp by uh, P. Hiroth, it's hard to say that word, between Migdol and the sea and camp along the shore. So Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused because he went one way and he turned around and came back. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what's going on here? So he's getting reports constantly. And once again, God will harden Pharaoh's heart and uh, God's plan will be displayed. Uh, His glory will be displayed through what he does through the Egyptians. That's what it says. And after that... The Egyptian officials. Now we're back to the officials again. Okay. You know, the officials before said, Is, uh, Egypt lies in ruins. What are you doing, Pharaoh? We've got to stop. Let them go. Right. You know, that was the attitude. But now, all of a sudden, where's our, well, where's our workforce? Yeah. You, you mean we have to get out there and work? So they were missing their workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had given all their silver and gold away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you know, the scripture says, go borrow uh, you know, is the way we read it. Mm-hmm. So, hey, are we going to get get paid back? They're borrowed it, so they're bringing it back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's now they're looking at and scratching their heads, thinking, well, maybe we made a mistake. And, of course, they turned to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? Yeah, they turned to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh now is that moment where they had turned their back on him. Now they're turning to him. You know, Pharaoh, you were right. You know, you, you were right about all this. We have to pursue and get them back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny how we see that turn around. Took the opportunity to regain uh, control of his force. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, just like in our world today, government officials and uh, cabinet members and all these people, they get power from people who vote them in and pe- people like that. So the president has power as long as no one on the cabinet is freaking out or anyone else. So once that sting hits, this is where it comes in. You know, uh, teshuva does not happen uh, from unbelievers until the pain hits. And then you'll see a nation rise up and say, oh, you know, we have to pray and we have to repent. 
And then they stop going that evil way. But mm. as soon as it changes, we're right back to sin. Mm. And a lot of Christians do that too, unfortunately. That's true. Yeah. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17. Yep. One of my favorite passages. I love quoting that scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, remind myself, uh, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become mm-hmm. new. So that is something that we need to remind the enemy, the devil of, I'm not who I used to be. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a new creation in Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm. In verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel panicked. They cried out to the Lord and said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? And I'm going to stop right there and explain part of that. Now, some of the translations say, uh, is it because there were no graves in Egypt? Now, inside the city limits, there were no graves, but there were outside. Now, this particular translation I wrote this down from says, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? So originally, and what the Jews have always taught, is that there was none allowed there inside. So did you bring us out here to die? Well, what about for the the 400 years had been, and they lived in Goshen. Mm-hmm. Uh, did they uh, have graves in Goshen? Uh, not, not in Goshen, as far as I understand. Yeah. Now, they could have because they were uh, Jewish people, but if they were obeying the law of the land, they probably had to bring everybody outside of it. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what the Jewish commentaries say. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously I wasn't there. But yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no. so. Yeah, uh, but uh, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. Now here's a key word here that keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Yeah. So it's better to be a slave to sin than a corpse in the wilderness. That's essentially what they're saying because Egypt is all represents their sin. Right. So when we as Christians... And believers in Yeshua begin to let God cleanse our life and pursue righteousness, there's often temptation. So, to sin, but persecution that comes into our lives. You know, it, it always knocking at the door. So, the moment you're doing something good, the moment you turn to something right, and you expect not to have persecution, I don't know what to say to people yeah. who say, Oh, I'm like, no, that's how I know I'm going the right way. Yeah. So, Well, you know, in this passage here, in, in verse 13, when the, uh, the people was crying out and Moses, uh, he said to the people, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. So do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But at this point, Moses didn't know the plan. Mm-mm. He didn't know how that was going to happen. Mm. But Moses had the confidence and trust. I don't know what he's up to. I don't know how he's going to deliver this. But God has a plan uh, in this situation because he listened to the instructions. He went circled back. He went back to this particular place. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Uh, that's uh I've got some. I've heard some teachings of why they were here and why they crossed where they crossed, but uh, uh, but do not be afraid. Uh, God's got it, but he had no idea. <laughs> well, Moses, as we read and we go through, he's always humble. He's the mm-hmm. meekest man who ever lived. Mm-hmm. So he's always humble before God, and he always trusted God. So that's the difference between him and the people. Now, what you don't see Moses do is start to pray before they come to him and complain. 
Yeah. So th- there is that. But it's just as sin separates, so should we too separate our thinking away from sin. Hmm. You know, because we are a new creation. Now, I'm going to take this moment. This is where we're getting back to the firstborn. Okay. And the, the plague and everything that you asked, asked me about. Uh, why did the destroyer pass through the land of Goshen as well as Egypt? Now, in uh, Exodus 12.12, 12, On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you were staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you, and I will strike the land of Egypt. So it's, uh, it mentions the destroyer. It mentions some of these things that will come, you know, and God will stand and protect. Now, in different translations, it will have more of that in there. But the destroyer is mentioned 23 times in the Bible. So we have this name mentioned. Apollyon is referenced uh, from one of those words. you got the angel from the bottomless pit, which is Apollyon. And some say the angel of death. Some say Samael, and that's from your Jewish theology. Um, but all of these, uh, basically, it ends up pointing to uh, Satan. Now, so the Jewish people say, don't distinguish uh, Samael from Satan. Because basically what it is, is he came... Uh, in the Apocrypha, the destroyer's reference as the minister of punishment and also the, who brought death into the world. So in the Apocrypha book, The Wisdom of Solomon, mm-hmm. that's one of the books that were taken out of the Bible, chapter 18, 23, uh, 23, 22 through 25, it mentions the destroyer, the minister of punishment, and the same guy that brought death into the world. So the same person that behind all of that is also mentioned as that spirit of death, that spirit of destroyer. So... It's like don't differentiate, don't differentiate, I can't say that word, <laughs> but uh, that between them and Satan. So that's what they're saying on that. So if the people of Egypt were to be judged, the enemy and the accuser of the brethren would say, so too must God's people be judged. So you've got to look at it say that this is the, the perspective because, you know, it's not fair. It's not fair if the Egyptians get judged and your people don't get judged. They have to obey you. And that's what we see time and time again throughout Scripture. But what is Satan always doing? He's always accusing the brethren. That's it. Every time. So if you have sin in your life, if you doubt, if you speak unbelief, all these things he's going to accuse you of. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is there as your advocate, you know, pleading the blood. They're under the blood. They're under these things. They're speaking faith here. And it's constant battle for our souls. Mm-hmm. That's what's constantly going on. And just like, you know, in the court of heaven, he's constantly accusing until he's kicked out. You know, another thing, too, in today's living, a lot of, as pastoring for 28 years, a lot of people, you know, struggle. They give their heart to the Christ. They do their best. They're trying to live for him, and uh, they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sin, we, and we all fall short because the, the Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of glory of God. But what we're touching on here, the accuser of the brother, uh, Satan wants to... He came, according to John 10, 10 to, to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, but we have to understand that he's constantly accusing the brethren, and we need to stand strong. And that's why daily repentance and ask, searching your, your heart, you know, even we, we teach it every time we do communion. 
when we take communion, do not take it in an unworthily manner, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to examine one's heart. So we need to constantly be examining our hearts, make sure that we're living right, we're asking God to forgive us of sins and lead us in the right direction. And uh, so, uh, but he's not, from what I've read, he's not going to quit. No. <laughs> he's going to continue to try to do uh, uh, harm to the body of Christ. And, uh, and one way to look at it is, you know, we got Paul, you know, he mentions in the New Testament, you know, that grace may abound when mm -hmm. he's talking about sin. The, what I would point out here is what it's important to understand is God is never against us. Mm -hmm. But when we sin, we believe that we're not worthy. So the grace is supposed to abound in that moment, and we're supposed to turn to him, come boldly to the throne room of grace, and repent and believe that he still has that good plan for us. That's where a lot of people end up falling short there. Well, I sinned. Well, I'm struggling. I don't know if God's going to do it. Who knows if he's ever going to come bring it to pass and everything else, because I'm not worthy yeah. and all these other things. And that is all a lie from Satan. And it comes through sin. Because when you're not sinning, you don't believe that. Right. You know. So, just pointing that out. <laughs> All right. So, God accepted the sacrifice of a ram or a lamb. Now, the ram is putting to the death of the gods of Egypt and disobedience and the sins and all this stuff. So that's a symbol of you put that to death, you put that blood on the doorpost, I'll, I won't let the destroyer come. And then the lamb, of course, represents Jesus. Now, they didn't know that yet. Mm. But Abraham did before he had died because he saw his day on mm -hmm. the way up the mountain. True. So he saw it. He would have known what that was about. Yeah. And maybe even Moses knew, but you know, the common people did not know. But this was the symbol for that. So anybody who had that blood on their doorpost is covered under the blood. The devil, the destroyer, cannot touch them. So they needed both to put to de death the false worship mm -hmm. and to accept the sacrifice of Yeshua. All right, back to our lesson. <laughs> back to our lesson. We're back on track here. Moses told the people, like you said, do not be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And I'm taken back again that here Moses has no clue what is about to take place mm -hmm. at this moment. He does, God didn't tell him, I'm, well, I'm going to lead you out there that I'm going to part to see in front. You know, but when the people panicked and the people got in fear, and we can do the same thing today, then the first thing we, we have to realize, if we're doing what God called us to do, going where God called us to go, do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you do not be afraid, stand still. Don't do anything. Just stand still. And uh, so it was someone, it's not about you. It's not what you can do. You just stand still. Uh, don't run around in panic. And then he, he says, and see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes we don't, we don't take time to see what God is doing for, for us on our behalf. Mm -hmm. So stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then the only thing Moses had to give them was God's going to fight for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at that moment, I can imagine me standing there. Well, I'm going to see God with a whole host of heavenly armies come out and pull out swords and, mm -hmm. and just start slinging <laughs> Pharaoh and all that. But so he says he's going to fight. That's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. But that's not the fight that we see uh, happen. Yeah. He has another thing going on. So. He has something else totally different. 
So pick up your staff and raise it over the sea. Divide the waters so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. In verses 17 and 18, God says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will charge in after them. My glory will be displayed through them. All the Egyptians will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. The angel of the Lord who had been leading the camp of the people of Israel, he moved to the rear of the camp. So you got the uh, cloud, the thick thick cloud suddenly comes down, separates them from the Egyptians and the Israelites. It gets dark. All throughout the night, God sends an east wind or a west wind. I have to look back on here. But anyway, he sends the wind and the wind blows all night long. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't often see that in a movie. You know, he just walks up, puts staff on the ground, splits water. Well, the wind blew all night long. That's what it says in the scripture. And uh, by the time uh, daylight had come, the Israelites had passed through the waters. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show you a picture of the Red Sea. That's a picture of the Red Sea. And the water starts to split. It becomes nighttime. Uh, all throughout the night, the Is- uh, Israelites are walking through. You know, just following the scriptures, the first thing, you know, Back to the scripture we had in verse 13, it says, uh, uh, Do not be afraid, stand still. Uh, the Lord will fight for you. And, but he, then he proclaims, The Egyptians you see before you, you'll never see again. Mm-hmm. And then we, we go down, and then he says, The Lord will fight for you. But then the Lord said uh, to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Mm-hmm. So God hadn't told him what to do, and... Uh, but he, he, he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord was uh, letting him know he had, he had the tools. Mm-hmm. The staff is going to be the tool. And which he had spoke to him all the way back at the burning bush. Yeah. You know, uh, take your staff with you. Always uh, use the staff. And, you know, of course, we're, we're going to read some other things that he used the staff for. But it would seem to me that Moses should have been at this point. I'm hanging on to this thing. I don't know what power it is, but when God says move with it, then things change. So uh, he he uses the staff. He said, why cry out to me? And and he touched the water, and like you said, the sea split. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes I wonder, does God, when we're praying and crying out to God, is God sometimes saying, why are you crying out to me? Mm -hmm. You know what to do. I've given you the authority to walk up, you know, trample on servants. And uh, so, um, you know, it's always good to cry out to the Lord. I'm not mm-hmm. saying never pray. Uh, I pray all the time, and I'm always crying out to the Lord because uh, I get myself in trouble. You know, help me, Lord. But uh, I thought that was interesting that he told he asked him, why are you crying out? But he didn't go into a rebuke. He went ahead and told him what to do. Well, what we see from Moses time and time again, and this is, this is kind of picking on him a little bit, yeah. but Moses never loses faith or never has a problem until people cry out. Right. So when the people are getting at in his face, then he has a problem and goes and cries out to the Lord. So if you've ever been in a position of leadership or anything like that, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people, they don't get too stressed out mm-hmm. until everyone starts complaining. Well, <laughs> you know, sometimes there, there is a time to, to pray, but there's a time to act. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, so... We certainly have to know when to act. Yes. So, uh, as a little side note, most of your uh, Jewish people, 
will say that uh, this happened in the Gulf of Aqaba. Now that is on the right side. Now you know got the Red Sea where it splits in between, and it's closer to Saudi Arabia. Okay. Now, so I was going to teach that lesson today. Now there's several different places where people say it was, mm -hmm. but this one was near uh, over on the right side. So when they passed over, it went into the land of Saudi Arabia. And that would have been where Jethro was and the Mount Sinai and everything else. So that actually puts it in a different location than what we grew up with. It's over further. Um, he's even got it right here. Yeah, I got the map of it here. So passed through here in the Gulf of Aqaba, it would have went over to the right uh, into that area. Now the reason why I wanted to teach that is if you zoom in on Google Earth, mm -hmm. you can zoom in on Google Earth and do this today. It blew my mind whenever I saw it. If you go to the Jabal al-Law's mountains and you zoom all the way in, all of a sudden it shows up Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai of yud mm -hmm. And the mountain is burnt. It's, it's black all the way up there from where you know God would have walked. There's a valley to the north where all of that would have been, uh, water would have went out and poured out uh, when he split the rock. All these signs are there, and the guys back in the 70s and the 80s, I think it was early 80s, went in and snuck in past the fence. Now, they had military there. They had other people there that tried to keep people from doing it. It would have been patrol because the Saudis didn't want anybody knowing. So that, all that is there. You can zoom in on it, and you can see a lot of that. Now, where the traditional spot is, the mountain's not blocked. There's no valleys for any of this stuff to be there. And when another thing they found is they took pictures of these Hebraic symbols carved into rocks. And they even found one where it looked like they may have had the golden calf. That's all there. So it's kind of interesting. But, you know, there's more arguments where it actually took place. But. And one of the arguments, um, there's uh, a Satan, the Temple of Baal, is uh, they say they crossed right in right in front of the Temple of Baal. And, and I, I just heard some teaching on that. Um, I don't know if you had any insight or anything on that. Not on that. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll look at that next week. Okay. So, um, so we get to verse 22. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with water on the walls of each side. And verses 23 through 25. When they all arrived on the other side, raise your hand over the sea. God tells Moses, the sun began to rise. Moses obeys and raises his hand over the sea, and the water rushes back. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Now, verse 28, not a single Egyptian had survived that went into the water. Wow. So, so God brought them out, brought them to a place, looked like a hopeless situation, which mm -hmm. we've all been sometime or another in a situation that looked hopeless. But when God says, step forward, go, do what he says to do, uh, you don't have to worry about your enemies, but God takes care of it. Amen. Now, Israelites saw the Egyptian bodies wash up on the seashore, mm -hmm. and then the people saw the mighty power of the Lord and were in awe of him, and they put their faith in Moses and in the Lord. And so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, this here, uh, very last verse in uh, chapter 14, it says, Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. They saw the great work. And so the people feared the Lord. 
and they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then chapter 15 goes in, they, they go rejoicing and singing and the great song and, and this and that. But not too far along, they come back into doubt once again. Mm-hmm. And so much like uh, some of us today. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, first thing we see after this, if we come into the bitter waters. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's just... Let's just start there. Okay. So with the bitter waters, I got a word study here. Bitterness is a marim. In this, the three root words are rum, mara, and marar. But the rum means to be high, exalted, and prideful. Mara, which is the word we see here, means being rebellious, contentious, or finding fault. And then there's marar, which is bitter and tasting. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting that the word that means bitter and tasting wasn't actually used here. But the word for rebellious. Okay. They cross over, they sing, they rejoice, and then uh, three verses into here, and the people complained against Moses. Mm-hmm. So we're b- b- back to the complaining. Right b- back to it. And, you know, that's still today. Uh, no matter what God does for, you know, sometimes, uh, people don't seem to be satisfied, mm-hmm. or that's enough. But, you know, salvation is enough if, if he never does another thing. But God loves his people, mm-hmm. and uh, he demonstrates his love over and over. And we see it right here with Moses and what he's doing. So that brings us to, you know, Moses cries out to the Lord. The Lord gives him something to do. So Moses didn't have a problem mm-hmm. until the people started complaining. And then they threatened him with rocks and everything else. He thought they were going to stone him because they didn't have water to drink. Mm. So he grabs a branch, throws it into the water, and there you go. It, it heals it. This is where the word they use, I am Yahweh Rapha, Yahweh who heals you. That's the next name. And you know, this book is called Shemot, the book of names. Mm-hmm. So that's our next name. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping his decrees, then I will, make you, I will not make you suffer any diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. That's where Rapha is put in, into the scripture. It's in verse 26. After leaving Mara, the place of bitterness, they traveled to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And that also has kind of significance for it being in the area of uh, Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had those uh, places where they could have been there, and there's evidence of being there. So, All right. Uh, take us right along this okay. journey. So manna and quail from heaven this is where we're getting at. We're getting mm-hmm. at the manna now. Mm-hmm. So in verse 1, uh, in the next chapter, one month after leaving Egypt, they journeyed to the wilderness of sin mm-hmm. between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived on the 15th day of the second month, and the whole community complained about Moses and Aaron. So we're back to complaining about them again. What, when you're doing what you're meant to do, you know, people will complain and persecute you. It's just over and over again. Don't lose heart, you know, when you're doing something right. Yeah. But in verse 3, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, here we are again, if only God had killed us, then there we sat around with pots filled with meat and ate all the bread that we wanted. But you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us to death. 
So, you know, this gives us a time frame. Uh, on the fifteenth day of the second second month. Mm-hmm. So, second month, you know, the fifteenth day of it. Here we are. Uh, we're forty five days uh, after they departed from the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So they've only been gone forty five days, and they've already seen God wipe out their enemies in front of them. Mm-hmm. They. It can't be that far in between here now. They're yeah. seeing things, and now they're complaining, and they're still longing for uh, Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, wow, it's just, uh, it just that short little time frame. Mm-hmm. You know, not all of this 40 years gives us a time frame, but this gives us a time frame. Yes, it does. And it's kind of it's eye-opening mm-hmm. to a point. So after everything they've seen God do, they're still, they still run straight to him and complain. So God tells Moses he's going to rain down food from heaven for you. Only pick up what you need each day so the Lord may test them to see if they will obey his instructions. So, of course, there were some who didn't. Mm. They gathered too much, and it, it rotted. It smelled bad. It had worms coming worms out of it, are... and Moses was angry at them because yeah. they didn't obey. Didn't obey. Mm. But I, I'm sure they learned quickly on, on how much food to collect yeah. and uh, to prepare, especially, and then that double on the on the the last day of the week. So uh, it still it still is amazing, but we still see it today mm-hmm. how people so easily forget what God has done and, and brought them out of. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so one thing I wanted to get out of this was, you know, you got those who complain about their church leaders. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bring that up, and uh, so they bicker among, among one another. Everybody gets in a group. There's usually a ringleader, and that ringleader will finally bring the complaint to the to the pastor or the person in charge after they've already discussed it with everyone. Yes. And that's kind of what you're seeing the children of Israel do. So they get a crowd all together, get everybody stirred up, and then now, now what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, and it's that it's that Egyptian attitude is what I call it instead of just listening. Mm-hmm. You know, and then whenever you go against your leaders, you you got to be careful because you might just be going against what God's doing. And, you know, we've seen that over the years. Uh, uh, I've been in that position where, you know, persecution comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're listening to God, uh, sometimes so many people just, surely, that can't be God. You can't, God can't have told you that. But uh, being in submission mm-hmm. to the leader God puts over you. And uh, we don't always get it completely right, but... Uh, I think God's grace and mercy will deliver us out and help us to come through, and definitely will take care of his people. Amen. 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 So God tells us, Moses, they are going to have have all the bread they want, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp, and the next morning the camp was covered round about with this wet dew, and when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. Now, this was your manna. And they use the word, you know, uh, mon, and we translate manna, mm-hmm. which actually means, what is it? Mm-hmm. So they're saying, what is it? Yeah. You know, and uh, it, it was like coriander seed. So you're talking about, it's kind of small in stature, but it was, uh, it tasted like honey with wafers. That's what the scripture tells us. And uh, 
or basically we've heard uh, uh, all the time, it tasted like whatever you wanted it to. You know, and uh, how can we doubt? We don't know. We, no. did, we didn't eat it. Uh, we're only hearing stories of it. But, you know, you can go to any restaurant and you can eat a dish and I can eat the same dish and we're going to come away. Well, it tasted this and I may say it tasted this. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's it was the same thing. So we, we don't really know, but it's going to be interesting uh, conversation. Uh, when we, That's going to be one thing everybody wants to know. I want to taste of that manna, mm-hmm. you know, uh, see what that was. Absolutely. Uh, Psalm 78, 24 through 25, He rained down manna for them to eat. He gave them bread from heaven. They ate the food of angels, and God gave them all they could hold. All they could hold. So if you were doubting whether or not it was from uh, it was food from angels, for angels, but there it is. There's the scripture. Yeah. I thought I'd bring that in as reference. Amen. And uh, it lasted 40 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so For 40 years until they ate the produce of the land of Canaan, which was in, uh, see, I may actually have that. No, I Yeah, I do have that scripture. So when the Israelites were camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month, which that is actually significant. That's a feast day. The very next day they began to eat the unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested in the land. No manna appeared on that day. They first ate the crops of the land, and they were never seen again. So from the time of the Israelites ate the crops of Canaan. So that's when it stopped. So for 40 years it went until they went into the land and ate. So. Well, and, you know, they don't complain about manna after that. Yeah. So uh, the, it shows you that uh, the fruit of the land is better than, than the manna. Oh, yeah. In John uh, chapter 6, verse 51, it says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. You know, Jesus is the living bread. He is. And he came down from heaven. And this bread, you know, he speaks of it. You know, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Mm -hmm. So they're eating angels. They're eating the supplication. He's saying, this is my flesh. Now, that's a spiritual representation. But I'm giving my body for you and your sins. And and you're going to be able to come to me. So I am the living bread. That's what he's saying here in this passage. You know... Scripture in Isaiah 46, verse 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And we're in the beginning here. Uh, And we see everything that takes place. We talk the blood. The blood was shed. Christ's blood was shed for us. We see the manna, the bread came down from heaven. Where Jesus says, I am the bread. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are... uh, as we go back and walk through this, we can, we're showing a parallel of today's Christianity mm-hmm. and of Christ today of what it was in, in that day. And, and hopefully in, that it's bringing some understanding to people about, you know, God is the same. It says yesterday, today, today and forever. And forever. Uh, so we can see that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, you know, Scripture says God does nothing. I, I think it's Amen. Amos 10, uh, 7, uh, without first speaking to the prophets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I believe if we study, draw close to God, we pray, we read our word, 
I don't believe we'll be caught off guard. Mm -mm. I believe God has already showed everything, and we can walk through everything just like he said. And it just gets back to what I was saying earlier about predictive, Mm. to pray and to know what's coming ahead instead of reacting to everything. Amen. Amen. So um, they purged the leaven from their lives and and left Egypt. They gave God, uh, God gave them bread to eat as a reward. So they got rid of the sin and they got the bread. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son to obey the Lord, doing all uh, that God had commanded him, removing the leaven from his life. Yahweh knew that if Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, that he would have to sacrifice his. Right. So that's the moment where that he became the father of our faith, I believe, in God's eyes, because he was willing to do that. So, And that, that solidified everything for the future for us. It does. So. Amen. In Revelations two seventeen, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give them some of the hidden manna. So there's that spiritual concept again. I will give you the hidden manna. I will give you the eternal life. So that's that other uh, verse there. So in verse 33, Moses told Aaron to collect some of the manna and put it in a jar. It ended up in the Ark of the Covenant later on. So they put that in the jar for future generations to see which I don't know how they saw that, because I'll be honest with you, because everybody was so afraid to approach the ark anyway, yeah. or ever open it. So it was... It, I think it's preserved there so we can get a look at it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it'll be like the blessing of the fish. Everyone takes a piece, there'll still be another piece left. Amen. <laughs> um, so now we're getting to the point where they get to the water from the rock. Mm-hmm. So we, they left the wilderness of sin and ended up in Rephidim. They complained that there was no water. Moses says, why are you complaining against me? Why are you testing the Lord? But still they complained. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? Again, the same set of phrases. Sometimes when the situation looks dire, even though we have obeyed God, we doubt his goodness. Here God is showing the Israelites and us today, he is our provider. Amen. So Moses walks out in front of his people. This time, this is funny to me with the staff in his hand. Mm. So they were threatening him, and now he's got the staff in hand, and they say, oh, he's got the staff of God in his hand, so everybody's just watching, see what he's going to do. Ain't nobody approaching him at this point. Mm. So the Lord instructs Moses to strike the rock, and the elders look on, and water gushed out and filled the valley. So this isn't the section where he disobeyed and struck the rock when God t- told him to tap it. That's, that's not this case. That happens later. Yeah. But this one he did obey on that. Now Moses called the place Masa, means test, and uh, Meribah, which means arguing. So that's what he, he named that place that. So, uh, it, because of the contention mm-hmm. with the children of Israel, it says. It, yes. Because uh, they tempted the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so many times we tempt the Lord mm-hmm. in trials. Yep, exactly. Uh, John seven thirty seven through thirty nine. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come to me and drink. For the Scripture declares, rivers of living water for flow from his heart. And in verse thirty nine, there declares he was speaking of the Spirit. So now we got the, we had the bread. Mm-hmm. Now we got the water. So now we got the Spirit of God promising to be poured out. Mm-hmm. And right here in John seven, where he talks about that. So. Jesus is providing everything that we need. You know, I will give you rivers of living water. 
I will take care of your, your, you eternally with the bread. Mm -hmm. So we got both of those to combine right here in this lesson. Yep. So, there it is. Yeah. Amen. Now we get to the part where Israel defeats the Amalekites. This is where we're coming towards the close of our lesson. Mm -hmm. Now uh, Moses tells Joshua to choose men to fight the Amalekites because they came up to attack them. And tomorrow we will hold the staff of God in his hands, what he's letting him know. So Moses and Hur climb to the top of the mountain or nearby hill and so, in some translations. Moses, Aaron, and Hur. Now Hur is said to be, they think, was Miriam's son, so Moses' nephew. Uh, when Moses held up the staff, the Israelites had the advantage. But when it lowered, he didn't have the advantage. So eventually they could find him a rock to sit on because the whole time he's trying to stand to hold up his yeah. arms, and then they both hold up his arms. Right. So it's a picture of spiritual warfare. So as long as he's standing in the gap. When two or three gather together. Mm -hmm. There you go. So, you know, they had three. And, uh, you know, sometimes you think about that picture. Uh, all they were doing was holding that, that one hand, one on each side. But sometimes that's what we need, somebody mm -hmm. to hold us up in prayer. Yeah. So Sometimes we can't do it all alone when we're interceding. Sometimes we just need a helping hand. Mm -hmm. Nothing else other than will you hold me up as I do this. Well, you know, the, and lift it up, signify unto God, mm -hmm. and then you pray with that and lift it up. You know, I think... I think there would be such a victory in churches if the congregation would understand to lift up the hands of the pastor. Mm -hmm. And just like we see here, if uh, when the pastor is lifted up, everybody wins. So it's, it's a great thing. So, uh, You know, instead of getting bitter, instead of getting angry, instead of uh, lashing out or anything else, how about pray for them? Amen. Stand behind them, and if you're willing to pray for them and stand behind them, what can you know? What can you accomplish together? Amen. So that that's that's where this lesson's coming in because you had all these people that had contention, murmuring, fighting, bickering, threatening to stone, everything. What would have happened if the Israelites would have said, uh, Moses, how's God going to open it up for us this time? What if they were that excited? What if uh, people had come to you in in your ministry and everything that you had done? Hey, Pastor, we have this problem. What's God going to do about it? You know, you know, I don't know, but it's going to be good. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Moses build a, builds an altar there, and he names it Yahweh Nisi. This is after they won the battle and everything happened. He calls it Yahweh is my banner. Mm. Now, uh, you know, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. That's what it says in James. Mm -hmm. In James 5, 16. And then if we depend on God, really to Him, then He fights for us. He does. Amen. And if we get, gathered anything out of today's lesson, is that it's God fights the battles. We must trust Him and rely upon Him. Amen. We may not know the answer, what's, how it's going to work out, but we can trust Him that He will work it out. Amen. So in today's lesson, we didn't go into too much detail on certain things because it was just such a long lesson. Mm -hmm. And there were so many things to cover. Uh, so we may go into a little bit on the next lesson. We'll have to see. Well, we're always going to bounce back and forward on stuff. So uh, we hope you're enjoying this. We hope that you're, uh, it's helping you, increasing your faith, and giving an understanding of how God works. Amen. So we'll see you uh, next week. And it'll be the Parashah Yitro, which just means Jethro. 
So it has to do with his father-in-law, and that'll be our next portion. So are we good to go? We're good to go. God bless. Thanks for being with you. God bless.